Are you ready for the word? This is the young adults pastor talking, so I need a little bit more. That, that, that excitement. I went to go watch, I don't know if any of you got to see the, the Moses, not Moses, I keep calling him Moses, the, the Joseph Technicolor Dreamcoat play that took place at um, the Playhouse. And it, it actually ministered to me in a way that the, the person who was in charge of the choir, now the choir are these little kids, basically, they're like 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. They're young kids. And she says to the choir in, in the preparation for the singing, sing like you mean it. And I was like, so often I walk into church on a Sunday morning, and I think that if the Lord was listening to my singing, it'd be like, is that, is that what you've got for me this morning? Oh, praise King Jesus. Glory to God in heaven. I'm going to stop now. <laughs> I've been standing for 40 minutes and my legs are sore. And, and it ministered to me that these kids are literally belting their heart out. And I know some of us make a joyful noise and not a joyful sound that hits the, the, the harmony is not there. Raise your hand if you don't have the harmony. <laughs> There's way too many hands raised. It sounds far more beautiful from the front than you realize, I promise. But, but the, what's happening in your heart actually has an outworking in the physical. It shouldn't be the other way around. You know, what the Lord doesn't want is you belting out with your mouth, but your heart is half, far from him. It's because your heart is close to him that you are belting out with your mouth and you're worshiping and you're excited to be in church on a Sunday morning and you're excited to lift up the praises of Jesus because he really is worthy. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be talking tonight, this morning, about two men on a boat. And I've raised this during one of our offering messages, but we're going to dive in a little bit deeper this morning. And one of them whose name is Jonah and the other one whose name is Apostle Paul. And I want to caution us this morning, particularly you who are of age, which is all of us, but what happens is when you take a story like Jonah, you learned about it in children's church, and you saw it on the cover of a children's book for the most part. And so if I ask you, what do you think about when you think about Jonah? The first thing you're going to tell me is a big fish. You do not think about that when you think about Jonah. I think about the first time you say Jonah to me, I think about a guy sitting in the belly of a whale lighting a match. Have you not seen that illustration where he's sitting in the belly of a whale and he's praying his prayer to God, and he's hoping that things pull right. And the danger is when these Old Testament stories, we learn about them in children's church, we see illustrations of them, but we never dig into the spiritual significance of those stories and what God is trying to say through them because we learned them when we were young. And oftentimes we never revisit them because I know about Jonah, right? He was disobedient, a fish swallowed him and spat him out. Finished, end, and claw. 
But that's not the story of Jonah. It's exactly the same with Moses. I know he goes into Egypt. I know he walks through the Red Sea. You can see if you're in your mind's eye, you can see the painting of the sea parted and this man walking through. And none of those things are wrong, but they are wrong if we don't return to them at a later stage in our lives when we're a little bit more spiritually mature and understand that God is saying more than be a nice person. Or be good to your friends. Or listen to your parents. Jonah got swallowed by a fish because he didn't listen to us. No, I'm joking. They never told us that. But we, we learn these simple truths in children's church, but there's such rich spiritual heritage through the life of Prophet Jonah and through the stories of the Old Testament. So I really encourage you, as we go through this morning, as we take a little bit of a deeper dive, excuse the pun, into the life of Jonah, we're going to be talking, I want you to think about your life, and I want you to think about the circumstances that you face in your life. As we go through this, Jonah 1 verse 1, it's titled, Jonah flees the presence of the Lord. And Jonah is a book, it's only four chapters long, it's quite quick, and we get to the point very quickly. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now we do see Jonah once before, he's not the best prophet in the Old Testament. He, we see him in Second Kings prophesying to one of the evil kings of Israel, and then we see him in the book of Jonah. And as we look at the character of Jonah, I want you to see that he's not the, he's not the best. He's not the best that, that occurred in terms of prophets that came before Israel. And so God gives him this instruction and says, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against us, for their evil has come up before me. Now, because we're going to go through a lot of scripture this morning, I'm going to read very quickly, and we're going to jump through the words highlighting key points. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Amen. Jonah flees the presence of the Lord. And we know what happens. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And when the mariners were afraid, each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. And so the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps God will give us a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots so that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots and a lot fell on Jonah. So basically, Jonah knows that he's fleeing from the presence of God and God gives him an instruction. And later in the book, we'll find out why he refuses to fulfill that instruction. But he gives him an instruction, go to the city Nineveh. It's a great city. It's massive. It takes three days to walk from one end of the city to the other end of the city. I've never walked Durban, but I reckon it would take probably, I don't know, maybe three days. 
And it's a massive city. There's millions of people that live there. It's an evil city. God speaks to him. I want you to go there, and I want you to tell them that I'm going to bring destruction upon them should they choose to should they refuse to change their heart? He says, I'm not doing it. I'm fleeing. I get into a boat with a bunch of mariners. And these guys are more persuaded in their conviction than Jonah themselves. And so they cast lots. They say, it's you who have angered your God. What have you done? And so they said to him, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more temptuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will be quiet for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. This is not Jonah helping the mariners or the sailors. This is Jonah still fleeing the presence of God. He's still trying to run away from the presence of God. And so, nevertheless, the men are like, you serve the God who created the sea and the land. I don't know in Jonah's mind's eye why he made the decision to flee on sea when he serves the God who made the sea and the land. And so they refuse to throw him in the sea and so they row as hard as they can to get back to dry land, but they couldn't do it. And the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Therefore the Lord, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us the innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah and they hurled him in the sea and the sea ceased from raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And so Jonah gets thrown in the sea. He offers himself, throw me in the sea, not because he wants to help the mariners live, but he's still trying to get away from the mission of going to Nineveh. He's like, well, if I'm not going, then I'm, I'm going to die. That's basically the, the nut and the shell of it. And in verse 17, it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Say amen. We definitely don't want to be thrown into the sea. Now I want you to jump. We're going to do scripture, and then we're going to talk first. And we're going to visit Paul. And Paul is the second boat that we're looking at this morning. And he's in a complete opposite state of heart of the man that is Jonah. And every single one of us, uh, well, I'll speak for myself, I definitely and most certainly when the word of the Lord has come to my heart, and when he's spoken an instruction to me, I have not yielded to that instruction immediately. Now, there's a difference between eventually yielding to that instruction and immediately yielding to that instruction. For the most part, when it takes courage to obey, it takes a little bit longer for us to be fully persuaded that this is the decision that needs to be made and to actually step out and take it. And so Paul, we're not gonna read the scripture because I'm running out of time very fast, so I'm gonna summarize it for you. Paul is preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He's established churches across um, minor Asia and in what we now know, Europe, 
And the Lord appears to him through persecution, and he says, do not be afraid, Paul, for you must go to Rome. That's where I've called you to be. And so this instruction comes from the Lord, and he needs to go to Rome. He's in prison. He's in chains. He's facing emperors. He's facing um, Romans. He's ticked off for the most part, the Jewish people, they hate him, they revile him, they're planning to plot his death and his demise. And the Lord appears to him, he tells him, you're going to be going to Rome. And you can find this story in Acts chapter 27. And it says, and as it was decided that, as, that they should sail for Italy, where is Rome? In Italy, okay, just checking. And they delivered Paul and some of the prisoners to the centurion of Augustan cohort named Julius. And they decide that they are going to make for Italy. And Paul warns them and he says to them, Sirs, I'm a prisoner on your ship, but I have perceived that should we go on this vessel and should we get on board the ship, we are going to perish. There's going to be great loss. The ship will be lost and all of its cargoes. This is what I'm telling you. Your lives will be lost if we take this ship. And Paul gets loaded on the ship as a prisoner. They set sail. There's initially, Paul is proved wrong and there's a beautiful south wind sailing straight for the island to where they need to be. And suddenly a tempestuous wind arises up called the Northeaster, and it takes the ship and sends it off into the storm for 14 days. For the next 14 days, they toss to and fro. They are um, beaten and broken. And an angel of the Lord appears to Paul and says to him, Paul, don't be afraid. You must appear before the emperor and... Because of what you've done, I will keep the lives of the people that are on the ship. And so he goes and he says to the men of the ship, don't worry, God has appeared to me and he will deliver us from, I want you to bear with me a little bit. He will deliver us from this storm that's taking place. And in Acts chapter 7 verse 39 it says, now when it was day, they did not recognize the land but they noticed the bay with a beach and on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. And so they cast off anchors and left them in the sea and at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable and the stern was being broken up by the surf. And the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion wishing to save Paul, kept them out from carrying their plan. And he ordered those to, who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. And the rest of the planks were on the pieces of the ship. And so it was so that all were brought safely to the land. And we're going to look at Paul first because there's a, there's a, a persuasion in the Christian life that if I'm serving God and if I'm right with him, then every and all circumstance is going to go smoothly. And there's a law that says that when I come to Christ, all my problems are going to be resolved. And it's not true. 
that the circumstances that are outside are going to change. What changes is the confidence and the persuasion that rests in your heart. And what that looks like is when you came to the front and Lloyd gave an altar call and you gave your heart to Jesus and you came forward and your life changed and transformed for his glory, his honor, and his praise, when you got home, the kitchen sink was still filled with dirty dishes. An angel of the Lord didn't go to your house the moment that you changed your heart and made a decision for him and quickly made the bed and quickly washed the dishes and everything suddenly lined up and became an order. That's not the case. Could you argue that Apostle Paul was disobedient? No. And yet despite these things, he was kept captive. He was prisoner. He was taken on a ship. Despite the fact that he said, guys, listen, I know for a fact that this ship is going down if we sail. I'm just telling you, just giving you a hint, a little bit of a warning. You don't have to listen to me if you don't want to, but listen, if we do this thing, this thing's going down. And Paul has a resounding and immovable confidence in the knowing that because God said you're going to Rome, nothing can touch his life. Nothing can touch his life. Jonah, on the other hand, is fleeing away from the presence of the Lord. He's running from God. Go to Nineveh, preach my word. I'm not doing it. I'm going to Tarshish. I'm fleeing away from what you've instructed me to do. And so two different men, such similar scenarios. The ship's breaking up. They're both throwing things overboard. Both the crew's lives are saved. Both... Um, encountering similar circumstances, except one heart is fleeing God and one is drawing close. And in our lives, when we face circumstances and situations, our response and the posture of our heart is what changes everything. And whether or not you are going to go through the belly of a whale to get to where you're going, or your life is going to be spared and you're going to go through smoothly in your heart, is up to you. And the lie is that if I serve Jesus, I'm not going to go through hardships. That's just not the case. And if you were told that before you gave your life to Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus literally promises persecution. He literally promises that I'm sending you as a lamb amongst wolves. Now, if I was going to choose an animal fight and I got to choose my animal, I wouldn't be a lamb if I was facing a wolf. I would choose bear. I wouldn't choose being a lamb. And Paul, when he's going through these things, he is immoved, immovable. And that's exactly how our lives should, should be when we face circumstances and situations. Now, I would say based on what I initially would think, is that Paul made a mistake. That's the teaching that I had in my head. Paul must be in disobedience to have been a prisoner. Paul must have been in disobedience if he's getting shipwrecked. Paul must have been in disobedience if when he washes up on this island called Crete, the villagers come out and they meet all 249 of them on the beach. These guys all wash up on the beach. 
and they're probably pretty cold from the chilly waters, so they decide that they're going to make a fire. They head into the forest, they gather wood and sticks, and they start building a fire. And the villagers are watching this take place, and they see that as Paul picks up a log to throw it on the fire, a venomous snake bites him on the hand. And they say to themselves, justice has prevailed. For this man who is a prisoner, who survived the sea, will now perish because the poisonous snake has bitten him. Praise the God of justice. He shakes the snake off and it falls into the fire. He carries on and they're waiting for him to drop. Have you ever had that? I mean, the religious Christians. One of us goes into sin, we wait for them to? No, that was a joke. They're waiting for him to drop. They know that he's been bitten by a poisonous snake. They're waiting for him to die, and he doesn't die. He doesn't swell up. The Bible says they're waiting for him to swell up and die. He doesn't swell up and die, so they change their mind. It says that they change their mind. No longer do they think that justice has been served, but they think Paul is a god. He's a god. That's the decision that they've made. And so the head of the island, the chief of the island, he's suffering with a fever. Paul goes in, lays on his hands on him, and heals him. And the rest of the sick and the injured and the broken, they come to Paul, and he lays his hands on them and heals them. And you're like, who is this guy? A Christian. Imagine. One. One Christian. Who is this guy? One Believer in Christ Jesus. And despite everything that the enemy can throw at him, nothing prevails against the plan and purpose of God. Now I want you to put yourself in his shoes and say, okay, if you called, Stephen, are you called? If you called, if there's a plan and a purpose for your life, And if he's mandated it, and if he's called you to it, what in this world can stand against God's elect? That's actually a scripture. It's not my quote. What can stand against God's elect? Who who can judge God's elect if God has called him? And this is the persuasion that should be the human heart of the one who believes in Jesus. And the title of this morning's message is, Do Not Shrink Back. Don't shrink back. So the word of the Lord comes to our friend Jonah. Jonah, as we said, he's a a terrible man, actually. That's what I concluded after reading it about 20 times. I was like, Jonah, you're actually quite terrible. I'm sorry, I'll see you in heaven, but you're quite terrible. Anyway, Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Do you know why? Because he knows that God is a merciful God. He actually quotes it. He says, Lord, I know that you are merciful, and because of your mercy, I knew that you would forgive them. And they don't deserve forgiveness. They actually don't deserve it. They're a wicked, wicked people, and they deserve to perish. So I'll tell you what, I won't give your message in the freak chance that they do choose to repent, and that you do choose to show mercy, and that they do get saved. And I want us to be so cautious, this is aside from the message, but in our own hearts, take Jonah and put him on yourself. 
that when the Lord says, I want you to go to this man and tell him of my good news, you say, I'm too busy. I'm too busy to tell him. I've got to get to spa. It's closing at seven. I know you might forgive them. I know they might change. I know their life might be redeemed, but I'm a bit too busy for that at the moment. Or they don't deserve your gospel, Lord. I've decided. That's what Jonah said. I've decided that you do not deserve God's goodness, and so I'm a little bit concerned he's going to forgive you. I'm worried he might love on you, and I'm worried he might show mercy upon you, and so I'm not going. Anyway, the worst sermon in the whole Bible. Are you ready for it? Five words. Five words. Are you ready? This is the worst sermon. Never give this sermon, although it was very effective. This is his sermon. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Close Bible, walk off the stage. Five words in Hebrew. He said five things to a city that takes three days long to walk through. Five things. Those words, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. The entire city, the word reaches the king's ear that God, the God who created the land and the sea, Jonah's God, is going to destroy us in, in 40 days. Yet everyone, an ordination from the king, we will all put sackcloth and ashes on, even the cows. Bring the cows and the cattle, the goats and the horses, everything, the whole city. We're putting sackcloth and ashes on the beasts of the field, on every person, every woman, and every child, and we are going to repent before God. The worst sermon. I should have just said, yet 40 days and inside church will be. <laughs> the worst sermon, and the entire city changes and turns for Christ. They repent and they come to know God. And what happens? What does the Lord do? Exactly what Jonah said. I knew it. I knew you would forgive them. And he forgives them. And he shows mercy upon them. And the city is saved. It's only four chapters long. You could do that today. Jonah 1, Jonah 2, Jonah 3, Jonah 4. In chapter 4, we have this funny exchange between Jonah and the Lord. And there's worms. And there's a tree, and he's sitting in Belito on the beach, and it's hot. It's a little bit windy. It's not in Belito. Um, and so the Lord has mercy on him, and he causes a, a tree to grow up overnight and give shade to Jonah because the sun's beating down on him. He's angry, right, that the Lord saved Nineveh. He's ticked off. He's sulky. And I want you to... Humble yourself now and say, when have I been angry at someone's promotion through Christ? You don't have to tell anyone. I prefer you not tell anyone. But when have I been angry at someone's promotion through Christ Jesus? When they were excelling, when they were flying, when God was using them, when they were growing. And Jonah's in this situation, and he's irritated, and he's angry, and the Lord has mercy on him, and so he grows a shrub over Jonah to protect him. And 
it says that Jonah was pleased because of the shrub. He's happy. And the Lord sends a worm to go and the Bible's a funny place. The Lord sends a worm to eat and destroy the shrub. And now Jonah's angry again. Because now he's being burnt. And he says, you know what? Just let me die. I'd just rather die. And it ends, the book ends in the Lord saying to Jonah, why were you angry that I destroyed a shrub? But you were not angry that I was going to destroy Nineveh. All the millions of people in it. End of Jonah. That's how it ends. We don't know what happens to Jonah if he still sits there sulking. Another fish, another crocodile. <laughs> still trying to get to the end of his destiny. We're not quite sure. But so take these two men, right? We've got Paul, our hero, and we've got Jonah, a bit of a grumpy one. But Jonah reflects the human heart. Jonah reflects your nature in the flesh. He reflects what, without Christ, you would be. And what a dangerous place for a believer is um, where your confidence is found. Emil, Don't worry, I'm not praying for you. Now, Emil is a large man. <laughs> Isu David, I mean Goliath, David. <laughs> this man's confidence can be found in his natural ability to put me on the floor very quickly. It would be unwise for my confidence to be found in my strength when facing Emil. You understand? Now, this is what we do with Satan. He's not small and weak understand. Adam, the first man, Eve, the first woman, were taken down by Satan. That's what happened, right? He's not weak and, and feeble. But if our confidence is not found in the right thing, if I try and take on Emil, I don't even know if I could push him. <laughs> That's not bad, actually. <laughs> Can I actually try? Okay, now go sit down. <laughs> yeah, that guy's strong. He's very strong. <laughs> Even a bit more than I thought. I thought I'd at least hold my ground. No, I'm just, getting, I'm just feeling my feet drag along the carpet. But this is, this is what believers do, right? We, we don't root our confidence in our strength. We root our confidence in our natural ability. And we say, you know what? Let's say I'm starting a business, you know, my talents and my strengths. Let's say I'm playing sport or my talents and my strengths. I'm going to conduct my life in my talents and my strengths. And I'm not going to root them and found them in Christ. Paul is immovable. Why? Because the Lord appeared to him and said, you're going to Rome. He knows his God. And the church, we're in a dangerous place when we don't, Know his word. And when we don't know his word and have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, we never learn his ways. And so when situations and circumstances come and you do get thrown in jail, and you do get tossed in the ship, and you, that ship shipwrecks, 
And all the Christians at Insight say, oh, shame. You must have missed God. If you are immovable in Christ Jesus, the situation just happens around you. We're what? We're sojourning. Do you know what that means? We're passing through. Now, the world, I'm on my way to Insight Church this morning to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I come through the toll at Tongat, and I look to the right, and there's a car rolling on the highway and smashing into the barrier, and I'm driving to church. And this actually happened. There's a car having an accident. There's a big crash. Parts flying all over the place. Smash. Phoning the paramedics. There's been an accident. Tonga Toll, northbound, before. Please get unseen. Four minutes later, they're there. Very good paramedics. But I'm passing through. Someone's life is happening there. There's a tragedy happening there. That's the reality. It's taking place. And if you open your eyes and you pick up your mission and mandate, you're going to see a lot more of that. You're going to see a lot more situations happening. You're going to see a lot more tragedy. You're going to see a lot more death because out there, it's a broken, broken place. And that system is crumbling because there's no life there. And this is what it looks like. It says, if I'm going to put my confidence and I'm going to put my strength in who I am as a person, I will fall and fail. If Paul was not rooted and grounded in Christ, if Christ wasn't his centerfold and the mission and purpose, his calling, he would have been moved by the circumstances. He would have shrunk back and been afraid. And so when you call to do something and you face a little bit of resistance, you know, when I, I struggled with pornography at a stage in my life and someone was preaching a message which really hit me hard in my heart. He said, you know, Temptation comes to all. But for some of you, when temptation comes, you don't even fight. You just fall. Oh, here it comes. Okay, let's get back into it. Temptation comes and I just partake with it. I partner with it and walk along with temptation. But am I going to, when temptation comes, when the temptation to quit comes, when the temptation to succumb to fear comes, when the temptation comes to be disobedient, do I shrink back or do I stand my ground? And the difference in that is whether or not you're rooted and grounded in Christ and confident through his ability or rooted and grounded in Lloyd's ability, in your ability, in looking in the mirror and saying, you know what, Don, I've got this. You've got this, bro. You're a good dad. Good husband. You're not. Take Christ out. Take his nature out of your love. And this, this is what happens to the Western church. We forget that we need God because we've got hospitals and the roads work. And I have a salary coming on the 25th. Every month, I can eat. 2,000 years ago, when a snake bites you, we're going to wait for you to swell up and die. We're going to watch. There's no anti-venom. No paramedics coming. No neck care 911. There's no one to phone. There's no seacoast rescue coming to save the ship that's on its way to Crete. It's not coming. There's an utter dependence on God. And so as life and the system of the world becomes more comfortable, we get confused with who is our God. Yeah. 
Is my source the world, or do I have to put my dependence and confidence in God? And when the world is shaken, this world that we depend on, we quickly turn to God. We suddenly start praying for our country when they're looting. Like, oh my word, we need to pray. We need to pray against the looting. No, you should have been praying the last 10 years. But it wasn't so visible in your, it wasn't getting in your, you know, your town. They weren't taking your food out the shops. They weren't stealing the petrol. Now you ought to pray against it. Stand against the powers of darkness. They're like, dude, we've been running this show for the last 25 years. Where were you? You know the men they go try and, the sons of Skiva. You know the sons of Skiva? They got confidence. They got swagger. They watch Paul cast out demons. I'm like, I could do that. This looks pretty cool. You know, dark powers listening to me. Let's go take that on. I'm going to do that. Come on, boys. Come on, boys. You know, like us men, we, weird. we get like encouragement. We're all together. We can all go fight together. And then they all go, they're going to, you come out of him. They say, Jesus I know. Paul I know. Who are you? And they beat them up. The demons beat them up, tore their clothes off. So they had to do the walk of shame, probably the run of shame. Back to their house to say, oh, my word, I actually am broken without Christ. And so we don't face these things because we're not about the mission. And I say that as a generic term. I'm not saying that we're not all in pursuit of Jesus. I'm saying we need to pick it up more. We need to pick up our cross more. It's not about building our business it's not about building our family. It's about preaching the gospel. All that comes out of preaching the gospel. Building our business, raising our family, being a good dad, being a good son, being a good friend. All those things, they come out of our primary mission and focus, which is to preach the gospel without ceasing. Let's get to the word quickly. I don't want you to forget about Jonah, and I don't want you to forget about Paul. There are two places that I want you to, to highlight to you this morning of where your confidence can be found. And this is what I said when I said, when we're not spending time in God's word as a believer, if you are not, this is an instruction actually, if I could be so bold, you must spend time in God's word every day. It's an instruction. If you are not, you're shrinking back. We must spend time in God's word every day. There are two places that our confidence comes in. Number one is the atonement. The atonement looks like because I have peace with God through Christ Jesus on a cross, in Hebrews chapter 19, verse 25, it says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. What happened? You know this, Jesus gave his life for your sins. He took on the wrath and the punishment that was meant for you. He took it upon himself. And so because he absorbed that wrath and punishment, you have peace with God. And therefore, I must conclude that if I have peace with the God who created the lands and the sea, then I can have peace with anyone. It doesn't matter because he's number one. And if I have peace with number one, then I don't care about number two. 
They can't touch me. That's confidence. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance and faith. Oh, it's too good. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Don't let condemnation have its reign in you. It doesn't belong. Why? Because your hearts have been sprinkled clean from an e- evil conscience and your body has been washed pure by the blood of Jesus. Verse 23, let us hold fast our confession of hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to come to inside church, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For Our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we may become the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. It's not about your works. It's not about what you've done. It's about what he's done. And when we forget that, sometimes when we serve God for 20 years, we forgot that we were a sinner. The Bible warns against it, so I know that it happens. I'm not even thinking about you. I'm just thinking about Scripture. The Bible warns that if you forget, people forget that they were once sinners. And when you forget that you were once a sinner, you're no longer dependent on Christ because your own works keep you clean. Lloyd last week preached on the religious spirit on Sunday night. So, so good. Please go listen to that message if you didn't. Number two. So where we get our confidence, number one is the atonement, and number two is the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're almost done. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says this. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What that means is it's tangible, When you first believed in Christ Jesus, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Do you know what a seal is? A king has a ring, he sends a letter, he pours some wax on, he stamps it with his ring. If that seal is broken, you know that the letter has been read before it reached its intended reader. You are and have been sealed by God through the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is the marker of confirmation in his promise over your life. And we discount that. Cultivate, when I say cultivate, we're not gardeners, but work on your relationship with the Holy Spirit. It requires faith. What I mean by that is, when you read the Bible, you don't necessarily have to have faith, and it's not challenging. Because it's easy to read a book that's in front of you. Having a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you cannot see him. It requires faith. And so therefore you are confronted. Some denominations believe it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. 
And some believers rest in the Holy Scriptures to stay on a safe place because they're scared or don't believe in the unseen, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You cannot do this life without him. So two truths established in your heart. The atonement. If these things are not there, make sure that they are there. Go and read the scriptures that we've read this morning. The atonement. Understanding and knowing that righteousness comes through Christ and Christ alone and that I become the righteousness of God because of the flesh that's been torn and the veil that I've walked through. I'm in the holy place. I have no condemnation. Why? Because I'm in Christ Jesus. And number two, I've been sealed with the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. He's been given to me. I have an inner peace. I have an indwelling, knowing and being. I have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. It's confirmation. It's the fragrance of Christ that as I walk through my life, people are going to experience the goodness of God because of his presence on me as I am about the mission. And so when circumstances come and when things get bad, they will get bad. Not a prophetic word. Just read the newspaper. It's not ayoba. Amen. Understand. The Lord is busy telling his story through your life. I don't care if you're 90. Do we have any 90-year-olds? I don't think so. I don't care if you're old or if you're young. If you're weak like me or strong like Emil. It doesn't matter. The Lord is busy telling his story through your life. Each one of you, when you look in the mirror tomorrow morning, has a calling. And we, um, some of us hate our jobs when we go to work tomorrow morning. We hate where we're going. We don't like our boss. We don't like the time. We're frustrated. That's not your job's fault. That's not the Lord's fault. That's your heart's fault. Because you're not about the mission. Your primary purpose is to preach the gospel. When you understand that, when you know that, when you live your life by it, frustration will disappear. And an inner peace and confidence will be established in your heart. You cannot have confidence in a circumstance when you're resisting God's word. Cannot have confidence in a circumstance when you're resisting God's word. What does that mean? I'm standing against God's word. I'm fleeing against the presence of, away from the presence of God. Your wife might not even know. Your husband might not know. We cannot know what's happening in your heart. But if you've made a conscious decision to flee his presence... Sometimes it's sin. It's always sin. Disobedience. Fear. I'm getting away. I can't make the step you've called me to make. I can't do what you've called me to do. So I'm going somewhere else. I'll make my life look busy with something else. You cannot have confidence in the circumstance to know that you're going to come through. Why? Because you're Jonah. God will use the situation and the circumstance to get you back to where you need to be. God is not using the situation and circumstance in Paul's life to get him to where he needs to be. He's using it for his glory. People were healed. 
Lives were changed. Lives were transformed through Paul's story. Shipwrecked. Circumstances looking dire, not looking good. And yet God is glorified. And so when we face situations and circumstances and you're looking in the mirror and you're going to work tomorrow morning and you hate your job and you're frustrated and you're bitter, it's because your confidence is not found in Christ Jesus. It's because you're not confident that you're about the mission. And for a lot of us, that actually looks like just reinvesting in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Not allowing ourselves to go tired and weary of this Christian thing, and now I've got to go to church again, and you know, life's just more chilled when I'm on the beach. The pursuit of life is not happiness, it's his purpose. When the pursuit of your life is happiness, when happiness is gone, you're shipwrecked. You don't know which way to turn. God has forsaken you because you're no longer happy. That's not God. It's not what he paid for. It's not what he died for. Amen. Amen. I'm going to conclude quickly. In John 6, verse 35. I'm going to speak to people who have unmet expectations. Now, I'm not a master of relationships, but most disagreements, they come through unmet expectations. I thought Levi was going to buy me a coffee this morning. He didn't. Levi is therefore a bad friend. This is what I have deduced and concluded in my heart. He doesn't know it. He doesn't know that expectation was placed upon him. Maybe I raised the expectation and he didn't pick it up. I'm not sure what happened, but we'll have a coffee afterwards and discuss it. I'm just joking. But we create these expectations with God. And that's what I spoke about in the beginning when you came to Christ. Was your expectation that you were no longer going to face hardships? Was your expectation that you weren't going to hurt anymore? weren't going to ever feel heartbroken. And so when there's unmet expectations, we shrink back, we ditch God, and we numb ourselves to seeking him out. We stop seeking him out. We'll come to church, we'll sing songs, but we almost go on auto drive. There's no pursuit. There's no hunger to know him more. You must deal with that. When there's an unmixed expectation from what God should have done, it's because you don't know his ways. When you learn his word and you cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit and you say the word of God is the first and final authority in my life, you will know his ways. And so when the shipwreck comes, when it happens, you're unmoved. Why? John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. 
all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And again in John chapter 10, verse 28, it says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch me, snatch them out of my hand. Paul is immoved in the face of death because he knows that he's in the hand of his father. And there's a promise for a believer. We spoke about the local church. There's a promise for the life of a believer that you cannot be snatched out of the Father's hand, ever. That's a promise. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. I have peace with number one. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. This is Jesus speaking. No one can take you out of the Father's hand. And so when you know his ways, you have confidence through Christ Jesus, and you're about the mission, and circumstances go bad, and the ship starts to sink, and a snake bites your hand, you don't care about death. Death can't touch me. Why? Because it's number two, and I'm in the hands of number one. And no one can pluck me out of his hand. And so when situations and circumstances, they're looking dire, we're here for you. We're praying for you. We're cheering you on. We're encouraging you. We're fanning a fire of flame in your heart to continue the purpose and plan of God. The situation and the circumstance will change and you will get to Rome. If God has called it, who can be against it? That's a scripture, not a quote. Nothing shall be able to separate you from the love of Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm fully persuaded that neither death nor life, angels nor principalities, powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heart, nor depth, nor any other thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You must know it. You must know it so that when the world is crumbling around you, when Durban is falling, you're unmoved. Knowing that I'm in the hand of my Father, and I know his ways. I've learned over the last 10 years that when we break bread, when we stand before God, the situation changes. I don't know how. I don't know how it happens. I don't know how we get through. But it changes. And we come out on the other side when I'm faithful to his word, his ordinances, and his commandments, and my life is surrendered before him. You must have this. You must have this. Do not change your situation for anything else other than having an intimate relationship with God. It's what he paid for. We're going to conclude with this. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. I'm going to read it to you from the screen. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, 
and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Amen. Amen. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I would like you to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for us really quickly. Holy Spirit, we honor you in this place. We thank you for the anointing. We thank you for your word. Your word is truth. We thank you, Father, that as your word lands on our hearts, won't you prick us? Won't you change us? Won't you transform us for your praise, your glory, and your honor? And Father, I just lift up the person that shrunk back. Father, I lift up the person with unmet expectations. I lift up the person who's afraid. And I thank you, Lord, that your word promises change and transformation when we turn to you, when we change our ways, when we repent. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would move upon our lives, move upon our hearts, bring glory to Jesus where glory is due, all honor and praise to your name forever in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, amen, amen.